0: Hi Miss Brittany, thank you so much for being here and doing this. Thanks so much for having me. I'm very excited to learn about your job. Before we do, we're going to dive into younger you. So, what was 13-year-old you like?
1: 13-year-old me was very loud. A lot of energy. I was a 4-H kid, so I was in Girl Scouts for a little bit, but I went into 4-H later, because I grew up around horses and things like that, kind of the farm kid. But I loved singing and I loved musicals. I was a huge musical kid. You guys have cell phones now, but I would use my parents' camcorder to make videos of everything and everything. Anytime I was re- like had a school assignment that you could make a video instead of writing a paper, I'd be like, oh, I'll do a video report. I love video reports there's some of me talking about making bird houses on camera when I was a kid so just tons of energy probably too much for my own good like everybody <laughs> else called me a ham and I was I was over the top like it was definitely I'm sure I drove a lot of people crazy <laughs> yeah.
0: so what were some of your favorite classes? I loved
1: writing I my, my my third grade teacher will tell you I'm a, ho- I'm a horrible speller. Really, really struggled with spelling when I was a kid. That was always something. I went to, I did hooked on phonics. I did you know special classes, all that kind of stuff. And I just could never get the spelling down. But I always loved to write. I actually had a teacher tell my mom in a teacher parent conference in third grade. She's like, Brittany is really struggling in spelling, but she's really doing well at writing. So. Let's focus on the positive and continue to let her write, not squash that passion for writing by focusing on the negative. So I didn't really get a lot better at spelling, but (laughs) I always loved writing. And I do really credit that teacher for noticing what my strength was and not focusing on what maybe would hold me back from being a writer. Because now, I mean, obviously I think spelling and grammar are so very important. But now, luckily for me, I have spell checks. So I have all these (laughs) writing bases. And, you know, I was allowed to be creative and I was allowed to think outside the box. And I was allowed to tell stories and do those types of things freely without having somebody worry about the rules, I guess, a little bit. So I loved, I loved anything with English, reading and writing. What else did I really love? I was never really a big math kid. I always really struggled in math. Math was really hard for me when I was growing up. But then, of course, I loved music class. I'm very music, you know, just who I am. So, yeah.
0: Honestly, spelling check can be both a blessing and a curse. Yeah. <laughs> I'm terrible at spelling, too. It's, I always have been, but. It's hard, though,
1: right? Because, it, yeah, it, does, it keeps us from, like, learning our mistakes. Yeah. Especially when it does the autocorrect thing. Oh, autocorrect. I
0: <laughs> I will spell something right and it will change, like the yours, oh. the, it will change which you are. And I'm like, no, I'm right. <laughs> I, I know I'm, I'm right. right. <laughs> I know.
1: Technology. Blessing and a curse.
0: <laughs> so, mm, yeah. In high school, you've talked a little bit about one of your... I guess, influences in elementary school, but in high school, who were some of your role models or influences?
1: Well, in high school, I mean, I loved, we were a big news family, you know, like watching the local news, you know, that's something that was always on. And I always really looked up to those news anchors locally. Cause you know, you'd watch them in the morning, you'd watch them at night and they were always in your home. And my parents always really instilled in us how important it was to know what was going on in our community. So the, it just was always without even really realizing it, those people, those local newscasters were really influencing who I was. But I was a theater kid in in high school. Like that's where my main focus was. So, you know, I loved anybody who was on stage and, you know, Broadway. I really wanted to get involved. You know, I thought that that was maybe where I was going to go one day But I had a teacher, his name's Mr. Newcomb, and he was my musical director. He was also, I did speech, you know, kind of like debate in high school. He was my speech coach where we did competitions and he was also an English teacher. But the biggest influence I honestly, and all of those things he had an influence on me with. But the biggest influence he had was he had this class called TV Film Production. And we put on a weekly newscast for our high school and it was like kind of a magazine show where we'd each do stories about things happening either in the school or in our community. And they could be anything from like, why is the water taste funny to school spending to what I always love to do were like human feet, human interest pieces and features and arts type things. And it was my first realm into realizing that I actually had a passion for journalism without real you know i'm just just making fun videos my entire life and just sharing other people's stories i wasn't a journalist and he was like wait you you are though this is what journalists do and then because we had a weekly newscast that we would do for the school i always volunteered to anchor it because i was a theater kid nobody else wanted to which i always thought was like the the silliest thing i was like what you guys don't want to like talk and be loud on camera and like in front of the whole school like what you're talking about of course you want to do that right Nobody else wanted to. So I kept doing it week over week over week. And back then, I, I don't have not been able to find clips of it, but I would put on these super thick, really like, this is the news. It was Ranger <laughs> News. I'm Brittany Fulgars here with Ranger News. And like this over the top voice and just had so much fun with it. And even then though, I, I don't think like, I just, I knew I was having fun and I knew I loved it, but it really wasn't until I actually went off to college because I started out as a theater major. Because that's what I was good at in high school. I think that was the biggest thing is like, you know, everybody tells you you're good at something, so you're like, that's what I should do. And I loved it. I loved theater. I still love theater. I still love singing. But I didn't know what I wanted to do in life. So I went off to college and, you know, pick a major, pick a major, pick a major. And so I picked one and I started as a theater major. And I got to college and I was like, this is not. <laughs> what I should be doing. This is just not, you know, I was like, if I'm going to college to do this, I should just go to LA and, you know, try and start auditioning. But if I'm going to school to learn, like I, I what am I doing? You know, it kind of had like this kind of crisis thing. And then I had a professor who, I was like this college writing class. So basically a, a class that teaches you how to write essays for college, my freshman year. And I wrote an, really long research paper and he told me, he's like, have you ever thought about journalism? He's like, your writing is really, really strong and your way to dig into information but also tell a human side of a story is really strong. Have you ever thought about journalism? And I was like, no. (laughs) And then I talked to my mom about it and she's like, you've been doing journalism since you were 13. What are you talking about? And I just had never really put the two and two together until I was like, oh yeah, people do this for a living. Like I I can go to school for this. I could, I could switch my major. Yeah. And so I did. It's kind of crazy. Because it's kind of one of those, like, you see
0: it every day, but you don't realize that it's something that you can do kind of job. Exactly.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: You know, I really identify with something you said earlier about, like, all of your classmates not wanting to be the anchor or whatever. Like, none of my classmates want to do some of the more, like, getting up in front of people and talking role. And I'm like, why not? (laughs) It's so easy. You just, like, read this
1: off the paper to our classmates. Like, why not? It's the funniest thing because, you know, and it's that theater background because I, and for me, it's so different when I get to put on, when I'm telling, sharing a story, you know, or something like that. I have so much confidence in it. But then if you tell me to, like, go up and do something i'm not comfortable with or like you know like explain a math problem or like tell a story about myself and get really vulnerable with it all of a sudden i'm like why are my hands shaking like why am i nervous why do i all of a sudden have stage fright so sometimes i'm like maybe that's what it is with other people it's just you're just not comfortable with the subject matter you haven't felt that free that freeing ability enough to to be in front of a group of people maybe yeah it gets there
0: i've actually I'm – mom tells me all the time, I'm like, I'm great with, like, communicating with people and talking to adults and talking to strangers on the phone, all that stuff. And throughout the majority of these interviews, I'm like, I don't know what to do <laughs> other than read the next
1: question. It's because it's when you're on the spot, right? Yeah. You know, and it's, it's spontaneity or, you know, that just that freedom of conversation – it so nat- can be so natural in real life, and then it's like, you put the camera on, or you everybody's quiet and listening to you, and you're like, I don't, I, <laughs> yeah, stop, stop looking at me, this is too much, <laughs> it's too much pressure, too on the spot. Like, the second the recording turns off,
0: I'm like, oh my god, that was so interesting. <laughs> oh, and I had like a more personal question about blah, 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 and yep. oh my god, can we talk a little bit more about blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and then it's just like, when it's on, it's just like, I don't know what to say though.
1: <laughs> I don't know how that goes. It's kind of part of the business in my world actually. So you know. It's so funny because I when I interview people, too, it's it's sometimes I'm like, you know, I I'll record the interview after we talk too. You know, we we'll do the interview. You've probably had that when we've we've done it before, where you know, you do the interview and then we'll say, okay, we need to get some extra cut shots. So Lest you and I just keep talking, Well, the photographer will grab other angles of the interview. So it's not like the core interview. It's like Mm -hmm. the extra. But in that extra, because it's not so serious and it's not so focused and the camera's not right on you, then all of a sudden the interviewee starts to let up a little bit. And they are comfortable now because they don't feel so on the spot or they have to be so perfect. And sometimes when we feel like we need to be so perfect, that's when... That's when everything just, like, starts (laughs) falling apart. I've had people with interviews, you know, want to, like, basically have a script to follow. Can I have the questions Mm -hmm. ahead of time so I can know exactly what I'm going to say? And, like, you do not want to have a script to know exactly what you're going to say. Because you're going to forget one of your lines and you're going to lose it all. So I always tell people, even in speeches, you know, bullet points. Give yourself bullet points. You know what you're talking about. But then you can look at your bullet points, remember what you're talking about, without being like where am I in my place where am I in my script the dog goes uh no you know the dog goes to the market because it goes there on Tuesday you know what I mean like Mm -hmm. so it's just interesting I don't know I've gone off on a a tangent but
0: (laughs) it's actually it's funny because when we did our interview about the new cookies Mm -hmm. we got the questions ahead of time for whatever reason and we were my mom and I were sitting there like 20 minutes before the interview and she had the list of questions and she just asked the same one over and over and over again like 10 different ways Mm -hmm. and by the second time i was just like i just answered that like and then i tried to answer it the same way and she was like no that's the whole reason i'm asking it Mm -hmm. again so that i'll get a different answer so that when she's asking it if she asks it a different way or like at all then you can still answer the question without, like, trying to remember your script or your line or whatever it is that you have rehearsed.
1: That's a really good, that's really great. That's smart to do.
0: You said that you went into college and chose a theater major Mm -hmm. and then just completely changed Mm -hmm. that. Was it because you were bored of your classes or was it just, like, not
1: what interested you anymore? I mean, I'm I'm not going to lie. When I went to college, it was kind of this... First of all, I didn't know for sure I wanted to go to college, but my mom was very adamant that I go to college. And then when I got there and I was going for theater, I was honestly, my thoughts were, I'm going to be so in debt from this and I'm going to be singing for quarters on a New York subway, you know, trying to make it. And, and when you're 18 years old and you're out on your own for the first time, I mean, and it was my first time having to confront my future really. And it was just, it, for me, it was really overwhelming. You know, I was just like, this is too much to have to decide everything. Like my whole life, I have to, telling me I have to decide it right now. And obviously in retrospect, I'm like, well, <laughs> it wasn't that deep, Brittany. But, you know, it's, that's not really, but that's how it felt at the time was that you have to decide everything. And I was like, well, I don't want to decide theater. I love theater, but this is like something I love to do. This isn't something I get to make money out of which probably isn't the best mindset to be in, but that's where I was when I was in college. <laughs> Little did I know there's not a ton of money to make in journalism until, <laughs> either, but, but it was really, I was looking for a change and I was looking for something that really felt right because I loved theater and I loved, it was all of these things that I loved, but it just didn't feel right. It just didn't feel like this is what I'm supposed to be going to school for. It's like, if I'm going to school, what am I going to school for? And that professor gave it a big boost of like, oh yeah, this makes sense. And then talking to my mom, like all of the things that I had been doing in my life hinted at journalism. And then when it came down to picking print journalism, so newspaper or digital now versus TV, I was like, well, I can still do my theater thing if I'm on TV. That's still a performance. I can keep doing videos. I can keep doing videos. I can keep doing all these types of things. So it just, it was this weird thing that was there all along, but I just never really saw it as a career. And I'm, I'm, I'll be honest with you, too. I mean, I struggled knowing what I should do with my life. I mean, I still, you know, I'm always like, at 33 years old, I'm still kind of like, that could change tomorrow. I mean, what am I going to do after after this venture? There's always something that, you know, change is not a bad thing. Change can be a really good thing. But when I was getting ready to graduate college with a journalism degree, I hadn't had very many internships. I had no idea if I was going to get a job. And I really, even though, like, I was getting this degree, kind of felt like that's for somebody else. You know, like, I know I went to college for this and all these things, but, like, The people who are actually going to get jobs on TV aren't me. (laughs) You know, somebody else is going to be on TV. Maybe I'll I'll get something, but I'm I'm probably not going to be on television. And I had literally, I was ready to go be a flight attendant because I was like, "Well, well, if I can't find a job, I'll just go travel the world and go from there. But I got very lucky. Everybody in the TV news business will tell you everything is timing. And I got very, very lucky at an internship at a station in Minneapolis, Minnesota that went really, really well. I loved the people that worked there. I worked really hard for them. And they owned a much, much smaller station in Duluth, Minnesota, so about like three hours north of Minneapolis, in a really small market, and they were looking for a reporter. And they put in a good word for me. I had an eight-hour interview where I did writing tests and screen tests and all these types of things. It was the longest interview of my life. (laughs) And then I ended up getting the job and falling in love with like the actual work, you know? And that's the thing I think is one of the biggest things is you don't really know if you're even gonna be good at something or if you're even gonna really enjoy the work until you actually try it. And if you don't, if somebody doesn't open that door for you to try something, you know, the internships I had, the TV news class that I had, those were all things that allowed open doors to me to try, for me to try things that I usually wouldn't have otherwise done and to see something that I could actually make into a career rather than just goofing off or like having fun.
0: All right well that is a lot of information.
1: (laughs) I'm sorry I'm such a rambler. (laughs) You're fine (laughs) it's
0: great but we're going to go back to a little bit of the college stuff because when you were talking about changing your major you said something about, I didn't completely catch it, about choosing whether or not you wanted to do like newspaper or like on screen, like what you are currently doing. So what exactly did you say and like what are the differences in classes and the degree that you get
1: and all of that? Definitely. So, and I don't know how they're teaching it now because the landscape has changed so much. So I graduated college in 2011 and at that time it was You could choose two different paths if you were doing the journalism track in college. One was print and the other was broadcast. So broadcast fits under the umbrella of TV news, radio news, anything that's basically going over airwaves. Print traditionally is your newspapers and then would be also like digital publications, so you know, Oregon or the Oregonian, Statesman Journal, those types of things. And I had a bunch of friends that did print, and it's a very different style of writing. It's much more matter-of-fact, very short sentences, very formal writing. And then on-camera broadcast is much more conversational, much more like you're having a conversation with a friend. And for me, the biggest thing was I, loved, I still loved the theater aspect of my personality. I still loved theater. And when I saw broadcast, I was like, well, that's an opportunity to still put some of my theatrical abilities, that side of me. I still get to be on camera and presenting. It's just not, I'm presenting a, I'm not presenting a character anymore. I'm presenting me, the journalist, and helping present other people's stories. So for me, it was a really big way to keep that part of myself going into this like next passion. And to me, it just only made sense for how I had always been kind of in front of the camera and behind the camera. But I was like, well, I should probably have a camera.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so you just said something about how you should probably have a camera and all that. <laughs> but what do you do like, off camera? What else
1: is there to your job? Yeah, so I'll, most of my job honestly happens off camera. You see, I, I, right now I'm anchoring a four o'clock hour newscast and then a half an hour newscast at seven. So that's where you see me on camera anchoring, but that's only you know an hour and a half of my day. I also report, and I report on a lot of subjects. I'm a medical beat reporter here, which means I cover anything from COVID to flu shots to Alzheimer's to... You know, sunburns and when does your sunscreen expire? You know, so I do everything under the sun, do research, all that kind of stuff. Then I also do human interest pieces. So every single day, like today, I was out doing an interview with a doctor to talk actually about Alzheimer's because Alzheimer's Month is coming up next month. So I started my day with an interview there. Then I take that story or like all of the files, the clips, and everything back, and you have to log it. And logging, I think a lot of people will say, is one of the most tedious parts of the job. So logging means, which I'm sure you'll probably be doing with your project, you know, it's you put on the headphones and you listen and you type out and transcribe everything that's being said. Oh, wow. So because that's kind of the building blocks for putting a story together, but you need to have exact quotes and things like that. So... Some people, it depends on how much of a deadline you're in, the process that it's going to be in. Sometimes you just listen and make marks in your script. If you're editing on your own, you can know how to plug that in, but usually you have to log it out and actually like transcribe. Then it comes to the writing portion. And if you've already done your research ahead of time, you, know, you can already have that on hand, but sometimes you'll need to do extra research to make sure, A, that your interview was correct in what they're saying. You're fact-checking your interview to make sure that what they're saying is actually good information. But then you're also researching for supplemental information. And then you're also researching or just double checking that you understand everything that's going on in that story. Because basically what you're doing as a journalist, oftentimes, is taking a complex subject and you're breaking it down and making it easy, easily digestible and understandable for your viewers. So for instance, this Alzheimer's story, there's so much to cover when it comes to this horrible disease but we're going to do first an overview story about it so i'll log that interview and pick a handful of sound bites which usually shouldn't be any longer than 15 seconds and then i'll look at those sound bites and say how can i weave this together and make this into a story that's either informational inspiring or educational or you know some variation of that And so then you weave and write that. It's basically weaving your information and your interviews together to tell a story. And so then once that is written, then you have to go voice. So like whatever the voice that you hear in those packages, we record that in another room and then it comes to the editing process. And I'm an MMJ, which means multimedia journalist, or you could say MSJ, multi-skilled journalist. So I write, shoot and edit my own stuff.
0: Wow, that sounds like a lot of work.
1: It is a lot of work. So I don't have to do it for every story because I'm also an anchor because my schedule is just way too busy for to be writing or to be editing and shooting all my own stuff every single day. But a lot, most of our reporters are MMJs now, and that's kind of how the industry is changing for better or worse. With lack, you know, as money goes away and viewership goes down, there's less resources, so more people are doing. I mean. I've I've been in this business for like 10 years and every, ever, ever since I started 10 years ago, people have been telling me, well, people are doing way more now and I used to have one job, now I have four and now it's like, you used to have four jobs, you've got eight jobs. And so I write, shoot and edit most of my own stuff and so it just, it takes time. So like, that's usually what I'm doing. And then once it gets to be like an hour before... Showtime, then I actually get time to concentrate on the actual newscast that I'm about to anchor. And that's when I'm working with producers, my co-anchor to go through scripts. And that's when I'm doing fact checking, making sure things are making sense, making sure that stories have context around them so that they're not just out of the blue. Why are we telling you this story? Making sure they're complete and really working with our producers to put on a show. And then I'm on air. Then I'm off air for a little bit and have a lot more things to do helping to build another show. Social media is also a huge part of our jobs now where not only am I on social media to inform the public from my site or from KGW's site, but I'm also my own brand. So I am basically like my own manager where I have to, you know, post my stuff on not only my posting stories and information on all of my sites, but I also have to promote myself and give people a reason to watch me versus somebody else which is like a weird part of the job but it's and it wasn't part of the job many years ago necessarily it, or it lived in a different way you know but now with social media and everything you have to really promote yourself in a specific way but you also can't promote yourself as I don't get to be an influencer promote yourself you know there's certain rules and things like that ethically that you can't do so Sorry, I keep rambling. <laughs> You're fine. I mean, that is a lot of information, but it's also like very interesting. Like try to take you through my day, and I take you way too far down the rabbit hole.
0: You said something about the landscape having changed a lot mm-hmm. since you came out of college, which you said was in 2011, which doesn't seem that long ago. So how has it changed so
1: much so quickly and... Like, how has it changed? So, I mean, the Internet and iPhones have changed journalism so dramatically, uh, so drastically since really, I mean, like the early 2000s. Everything started changing. You know, most people don't read a newspaper anymore. But for broadcast news, it's been kind of a slower thing where because of streaming – And once streaming really happened, which happened when I was in college, I mean, I still remember getting Netflix DVDs mailed to me in the mail, and it was like way more expensive to stream it. But with streaming services and everything and quality of phones getting better and better, the way we view things as society has changed dramatically. Appointment television is what it used to be called, you know, when you'd have... I have to be at home at seven o'clock because that's when this show is on and that's the only time I'm going to see it. Now that's really not an op, that's not really how we watch TV anymore and so that's changed how we watch news. You know, it used to be, well, five o'clock newscast is on, that's when I'm going to get to know about my day. Well, now you get a tweet or you get a Facebook notification or somebody texts you, you know, there's such a, different flow of information and news coming at you that people aren't waiting until the five o'clock news to find out what happened about their day. They're getting it as it comes in. So our viewership has gone way down. And when viewership goes down, that means advertising dollars go down, which means money flow goes down, which means resources for newsrooms go down. So I've seen a really dramatic shift in just the, the amount of work that people have to do. And when I talk about that MMJ, the MM multi, multimedia journalist or multi-skilled journalist, that wasn't, the TV news business has had that in some shape or form. But now it's like the norm. Like if you're a reporter, you need to be able to shoot and edit your own stuff. And you're not only going to be doing that in a small market, you're now going to be doing that in a big market. So when I started out in 2011, it was like, yeah, you'll probably have to start out as an MMJ. You'll probably have to start by shooting and writing and editing your own stuff but hopefully by the time you get to a big market like portland or you know seattle new york then hopefully they'll have enough money or they'll have enough resources you won't have to mmj anymore you'll get to work with a photographer which makes your especially when you're working up against a deadline makes life incredibly more efficient and it allows you to focus a lot more on your actual writing versus shooting and editing but now that 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 is just not the case it used to be you know you'd get to top 30 market and you wouldn't have to mmj anymore now portland is market 21 so the smaller the number the bigger the market basically and so it used to be like well i'll get to market 21 that's portland 22 i won't have to mmj anymore that's just not the case even national news like nbc cbs is starting to incorporate mmjs because it's more efficient. It's literally three jobs in one person. And so you can pay that person, instead of paying three different salaries, you can pay one person one salary. And because of the way the business has changed, you doesn't mean that person is getting paid three people's salary. Mm. They're just getting paid one. So that's one of the biggest changes I think that I've seen in my tenure. And then people who've been doing this for longer than me could tell you about even greater. <laughs> yeah, there just there used to be a lot of money in news, and especially in, in, there's still money you know, in on in news. It's not that there's not, but where that money is getting distributed and who's seeing that money. You know, it used to be, well, you're a local news anchor, you're the evening news anchor, you must be making like so much money, you must be rich. You're you've got to have that house in the West Hills with the pool, and while there is still some of that, those it's just not those salaries aren't going to be there for people like me when i if you know what i mean and and if you've only for people who've been doing this for less than 15 years those salaries are gone like they're just they're grandfathered out you know making that exorbitant just like a ton of money it just isn't necessarily part of local tv news unless you get some kind of amazing agent and deal and stuff like that you know it's not the glamorous job that i think a lot of people think it is people always ask me like like during the pandemic this was an interesting thing you know we're telling people stay away and you know don't get close and i would get people all the time emailing me like well your makeup consultant is still doing your hair and all this (laughs) kind of stuff and i was like well yeah because it's me you know i'm the person that does my hair and makeup i'm the person who pays for my hair and makeup oh it's just, it's all of the things that we kind of, the tropes, the ideas that we had of what TV news is when we were growing up, and it's just not there anymore. Whatever was true has definitely changed about those glamorous things. It's still an amazing job. I still feel very lucky and blessed that I get to do what I do. It's a privilege, 100%. But it's not this, oh, you must have like such a sweet, like fancy, Gig. It's like no. It's like a. It's a pretty normal job where I just talk to a lot of people, and then I just happen to be on television a couple yeah. hours a day. <laughs> it's a normal job. You just see me. Yeah, exactly. Like, you just see me do it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you also have to put into account to the the demand of the job. We're losing a lot of people in the journalism industry, especially producers, because producers are behind the scenes. They're the ones that are, you know, while I might be a reporter who's focusing on one story, they're focusing on putting an entire newscast together. So they're writing multiple stories and they're some of the lowest paid in the business. And we're struggling to retain and bring in competent producers who know what they're doing because some of them can make more money working at a car wash at this point. Like that's how little money is getting trickled down. So there's money in the business, and I think this is how this is with a lot of businesses. It's not that the industry isn't making money. It's where that money is going that I think really impacts a lot of a lot of industries, you know, when it comes down to the actual people. But
0: hmm.
1: that's just my observance.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Earlier you said something about how when you were fresh out of college you were like ready to be a flight attendant Mm -hmm. and now you're talking a little bit about how like producers don't make as much money and so what are some other jobs that you could go into with your career with your experience and degree in journalism or even just
1: like without it well so that's what's so interesting too is Journalism is one of those careers where the only real requirement is curiosity. A lot of jobs will require you to have a four-year degree or experience, but, I mean, if you look at Brian Williams, I mean, famous NBC news anchor, he didn't do the traditional path of college and things like that. So it's, it's an interesting career where if you have the skills and the intuition and the curiosity to make it happen, a degree is supplemental. But for me, I loved learning about everything and opening my eyes. Like college was like the best. Once I figured out what I wanted to do, I was really, really interested in all of my classes. And it's a journalism mass communications degree. So with my degree, I could go into public relations, communications, I could go into marketing advertising even though that that's not my specialty. It's still kind of under that same umbrella. And because I work so closely with different we have you know a sales department here and things like that, I'm kind of privy to that. But it's funny for me, you know, when I talk to my family about what I might do, you know, after after this or what I, else I would want to do. Like I really think I'd want to work with nonprofits. Because that's what the stories that I've done so much, I would really love to work with maybe a foster care nonprofit. And so I think it'd be really hard for me to go from a job where I can tell stories that matter and can actually help people to a job where I felt like I was helping a corporation instead of a person. So, you know, like that's what a communications job oftentimes is. Or as a PR job, you're representing a company, which can also be really wonderful and rewarding. But for me, I think working in nonprofit work, which, again, no money, but it's more about the purpose, I guess. So for me, you know, as long as it's something with purpose where I feel like I can be making a small difference, even if it's just in, like, one person's life a day, like, that's, that's one of the things that keeps me going in this job. So I feel like I'd have to have it in another.
0: That's very interesting.
1: Given the
0: rise of technology is there and or should there be
1: a journalism license I mean it's a really tricky topic because freedom of speech you know everything I, gets tricky with freedom of speech <laughs> it's true and in so many ways everyone should be able to tell stories and observe from their own point of view. There's historically magazines and publications because big publishers didn't like their ideas, weren't, you know, were, were pushed aside or told you're never going to make a magazine in this world or you're never going to do this. You're never going to do that because there are gatekeepers in this industry. And sometimes those gatekeepers can be the rich and powerful and, That can silence voices. So an actual license to be a journalist, I think, is a dangerous territory. Do I think that it's really important to make sure that we're getting our information from people who care about that information, who are trying their darndest to be unbiased, who are really at the core just trying to provide solid concrete information and education to the community who have been fact checked all of those things I think are so absolutely crucial but being a gatekeeper to who gets to be a journalist I think that that's right now technically supposed to be in the hiring process you know for who gets hired at a publication they should be doing writing tests with people they should be looking at background checks all of those things usually are and should be in place the hard thing now is that anybody and everybody can write a blog anybody and anybody can show you a five second clip of something and write an entire article about it doesn't mean it's true doesn't mean it's showing the full side of the story so my biggest thing that I, I talk about is giving the power to the readers or the viewers. Media literacy is something that I think is one of the most important things that we can be teaching kids right now. Where is that image that you're looking at coming from? Who is that journalist? what is NBC? What is Fox News? And how are these images that I'm seeing every day? How are these words that I'm hearing? How is this rhetoric impacting me? I mean, I really do think it should be something that's taught to kids in junior high. How is this? It's, it's, it's not just how is the world around me affecting me? How is all of this media around me? And that's not just news, that's advertising, that's your TV shows, that's the things on your Instagram that's following you and how can we just keep always getting that weird pants ad, you know? How are these things influencing me and how can I as an individual recognize that and recognize what's trying to get me to think a certain way? And because it's difficult because there's such a saturation of media out there. If I want a certain point of view, I can go out and get it. Whether it's true or false, if I have a belief and I want that to be reinforced, I can go have it be reinforced by seeking out specific news outlets or specific bloggers, citizen journalists, which might not be fact-checked, which might be actually disinformation, which might be trying to tell me a lie to get me to think a certain way, because it's all over the place. And unfortunately, because we don't have as much regulations and because... We haven't quite figured it out yet. How do we tackle this really big problem of mis- and disinformation? It's really up to the viewer, to the consumer, to try and be able to spot when they're being duped. When somebody tells you to look over there, why you should be looking straight forward. So I always tell people, if you're agreeing with all the information that you're getting, and you're not questioning anything it's probably time to start looking elsewhere as well don't stop looking where you're looking but try and get another point of view as well i know most people don't have time to do that <laughs> you know you want to be able to just sit and watch your news and be and be done with the day and i really do think local news is the best place where you can get that Well, you might have ownership that is a big corporation the people in local news live in your community Are telling the stories of their neighbors. You know, people I interview are people sometimes that live right down the street from me. I'm literally in their neighborhood and we're just trying to do the best for our community and get that information out there. Nobody's got an agenda necessarily except for that they want to inform their community and make for a better community. At least that's what I've found in my journey in local news is that the people who really want to do good journalism just want to inform the public and Is it going to be perfect every time? No. Are some biases going to slip through? Yes, because that's human nature. That happens all across the board in any reporting anywhere, because that's what it is. But local journalists, people don't realize. You know, like I said, the money isn't great. They mostly do it. You have to have a. It's a labor of love in so many ways. You know, it's not like I'm saying it's the poverty line, but I'm saying for the amount of work, the crazy hours. People wouldn't be doing this if they didn't care about the actual information that they're giving. So I always say, challenge your own biases in what you're consuming when it comes to news. Make sure that you're looking out a big wealth of knowledge and wealth of information, because we can't necessarily control who gets to share a message and who gets to be a journalist, and I don't think we should, but we can control how we seek out information, and we can control how we try to understand that information and see it from a full picture. My long-winded answers. I don't (laughs) know. (laughs) It's like like nobody ever asks me questions. All right, let me just go.
0: (laughs) No, it's actually, it's perfect because it gives me the perfect transition into this particular question. You talked a little bit indirectly about, like, Basically, some values of like both that you should seek out and that are in general in the journalism industry. Could you expand on some other values of the journalism industry?
1: Well, I think, you know, integrity and honesty are the two number one things, obviously. Just getting out, being correct. You know, being right in the information and being, and when I say being right, I mean being factual, you know, like actually having that good information and then the curiosity factor I think is like, it's just one of the biggest requirements for being a journalist. You have to wonder why and then how, you know, it's not just the who, what, when, where it's the why and how that really makes a journalist. You know, it's not just, well, this guy robbed this woman, but why did that happen? How did that happen? What are the systems in place that allow those things to happen? How can we look at this at a bigger picture? And sometimes it is just that. It is just a robbery, but sometimes it's a bigger issue of what's happening in our criminal justice system. Sometimes it's a bigger issue of, what's happening in our foster care system and looking at those things and connecting those. That's what journalism is, is it's it's a watchdog. We're supposed to be a watchdog for the people and questioning the people in power. We're supposed to be here, that's what we're built on as freedom of the press, is to keep the powerful in check and curiosity is the base of that, so yeah.
0: You said that the skills that you learned in theater were very, like, helpful and very important, mm-hmm. in both, like, in changing your major and just, like, in general, in journalism. What were some of the skills that, like, helped you, still help you? Maybe you're surprised help you?
1: Just. I mean, that. well, like, with theater, so much of it was not just, like, you know, confidence. Confidence in... Being yourself or like being in front of people, I think, was one of the biggest things. But even when it comes to like improv, the yes and factor is such an important part of live newscasts, of live TV, of just letting go and having to roll with it. This job, so much of every single day, is you see it going one way and it never does. <laughs> you know, you can plan out your entire day and it's. It's never going to go exactly to plan. Or a newscast is never going to go exactly to plan. The, the prompter goes out. A video doesn't play. All of a sudden, you're in a live report with a reporter and their feed drops. You know, you have to be able to adapt and adjust and be flexible, live on the spot right away. And theater has been absolutely in, instrumental in that. But some of the biggest skills that have been super important to me just overall in journalism is empathy, which I think is something I've learned at more of as I've been a journalist, but to really put yourself into somebody else's shoes. The ability to be able to do that, I think is really crucial to be a good journalist, is to try and feel what somebody else is going through. You still have to ask the hard questions. You still have to be there on usually somebody's worst day of their life, you know? Please show up. A doctor shows up, and then there's the journalist. Who do you want to see the, the least? The journalist. <laughs> the journalist with the camera. <laughs> exactly. especially if there's a camera there. It's even worse. <laughs> so understanding that is step one, but then also putting yourself in that person's shoes. And having empathy, sympathy, and an understanding for what people are going through is a, is another big thing. And then having tough skin at the same time. I've been spit on. I've had people call me fake news. I've had people say horrible things online and not even that have nothing to do with actually anything valid. But it it eats away at you and it makes you feel silly little things about, you know, my big teeth. You know, like make you feel horrible about yourself. Even though you know it's some weirdo behind a camera or behind a computer that doesn't is trying to make you feel bad exactly for absolutely nothing and then they win but you know i've been doing this for 10 years and it still affects you a little bit even though you can tell everybody like meh it just is what it is and then putting yourself in that per- that having the ability to kind of like take a step away and have a different perception on life and be able to take yourself out of it is like well that's somebody's own aggression Whatever is going on in their life must be pretty rough if they need to pick on a local news anchor for no reason. You know, I'd get it if it was like a story that you were involved with or you had something directly, but that's usually not what it is. It's usually some random troll who wants to make fun of your face or tell you something horrible about yourself that isn't true.
0: And then, finally, is there any advice you would give to 13-year-old you?
1: So much, but... (laughs) The biggest thing for me was I was a loud and obnoxious kid and so much of my life and even into my career, it was like, stop being obnoxious, that loud, obnoxious kid or like you're too much or, you know, people diminishing a light because maybe it's just too much for them. It took a lot of growing up for me to realize like, yeah. I am over the top and that's who I am. And that's awesome. It's what makes me really good at my job. It's what gives me the courage to go out into the community every day and meet people I don't know and try and tell their story. I wouldn't be where I am today if I wasn't who I am. And I wish so badly that 13 year old me could hear like to just accept it and don't let people tell you when somebody says you're annoying, it's just cause they can't handle it, you know? So many people are going to try and put you into a box because this is what a little blonde girl is supposed to do. This is what this little black girl is supposed to do. This is what this, you know, what you look like or who everybody else, everybody else is going to decide who you are for you. So it's up to you to push back and say, maybe I don't fully know who I am, but let me figure it out, not you. I just don't know where else I would, you know, who knows where I would be. Maybe I wouldn't be singing on the subway for quarters. Maybe I would be on Broadway. If I wouldn't have let those stupid little voices in my head and everybody else tell me what was wrong with me. I love where I'm at, but I have no idea where else I could have been. So, yeah.
0: That is great advice. Well, thank you so much for doing this.